in a way had adopted without realizing the, the Milton Friedman approach that our only responsibility was to increase our profits and to keep growing. And it was when we realized the environment we're working in and all the changes and, and maybe ineffective governments that we started asking ourselves, is our role just to be a bank? Are there other opportunities where we can actually push our country forward? We live and work in a world of interlocking systems where many of the problems we face are dynamic, multifaceted, and inherently human. We believe that design thinking can help solve these problems to provide answers, but big answers can only be found by asking big questions. Welcome to The Big Question, an IDEO podcast. I'm your host, Deetra Williamson. Hi, this is Dietria from IDEO, and in this episode of The Big Question, we're joined by Sandy Spiker, IDEO CEO, and by business maverick Carlos Rodriguez Pastor, chairman of Intercorp, to explore the big question of how might we build businesses with purpose at the heart. Carlos and Sandy, I'd like you to introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about how you both met. Okay, hi, I'm glad to be part of this podcast. I run a company called Intercorp down in Peru that's involved in all sorts of different businesses, basically catering to the emerging middle class. And I ran into Sandy and IDO um, about a decade ago when we were trying to figure out a very challenging problem, which was how to improve the education of Peru. So I think we met Sandy in the spring of early 2011. Yeah. Got to work in the fall of 2011 and what is probably one of our, at least from my side, one of my favorite ever startups. And, you know, looking back now over all the progress, it's been incredible what we've achieved together. Thanks, Carlos. I am Sandy. I'm the CEO of IDEO and I've been with IDEO for about 17 years now, a decade of which has been working with Carlos, which has been one of the great pleasures of my career. As Carlos mentioned at the time, we were working on a question of building an education system in Peru, and I was leading our education practice. And so Carlos brought his big question to us, which was around how do we create international quality school system that can be scaled to help disrupt the country's struggling education system and be affordable to the emerging middle class. And so we love it when <laughs> when people bring us their hardest questions. And definitely there wasn't a lot of precedent in the world for an example like that. So we took a pretty big leap and worked together on this difficult question. It was interesting, Sandy, that those four things that we put as the kind of like non-negotiable characteristics for this K-12 school network are still intact. And we repeat them over and over, which was we want to build schools that are affordable, that have academic excellence, that it can be scalable, and that are sustainable. So I think sometimes when you keep it simple, you can go all the way. Absolutely. Carlos, we're actually going to talk a little bit about how it's obvious in the choices that you've made, the businesses that you've created, that your spine is about community. There's a phrase that, you know, we should all be here to treat the community with the utmost respect. It seems that, you know, social good is generally built into the fabric of a corporation generally. 
But has this been lost over the past few decades? Do you think this has been lost? And if so, why has this happened? Well, I think that a lot of people go back to a famous 1970 essay written by a Nobel Prize economist, Milton Friedman, who basically argued that a company has no social responsibility to the public or society. Its only responsibility is to the shareholders. And I think for a lot of decades, that's the way companies focused. I think today, that's changing. And I feel that our responsibilities are towards people and the societies in which we operate. So people to me are team members, customers, you know, other partners in the supply chain. I think that if we don't figure out a way to, to not only work together, but create value together, and we won't be around in the long term. So a few years ago, I read an article in the Harvard Business Review by uh, Michael Porter and Mark Kramer on creating shared value. And that really resonated with me. You know, in the article, shared value is a practice of creating economic value in a way that also creates value for society by addressing its needs and challenges. And one of the first things I did is order a bunch of reprints and then get my senior management team together to talk about this and, and seeing whether this was a better way of looking forward. And uh, as a result of all that, we, we kind of changed what our objective was as a, as a company. You know, we started as a bank and uh, you know, we we're all about return on equity and you know, having good credit ratings and, and those sort of things. But we realized that we lived and we operated in a country that had all sorts of other issues. So we started branching out and expanded to, to really focus on the emerging middle class and all of their needs. So as one of our key goals, which long-term was to be the business group that kind of helps Peru become a developed country, maybe in the shorter or medium term, we set our goal to help make Peru the best place to raise a family in Latin America. And that, that really resonated with everybody. That seemed a lot more important than just getting the return on equity and return on shareholders. It, it turns out that by doing that, we also have very good return on equity and, and leading market shares in a lot of our businesses. But I'm not sure which one comes first. I think if you focus on a problem that, that's very challenging, it's big and it motivates you, all the other things will probably follow. I'd say that being good is what's good for business. And many would argue, of course, that Intercorp is a purpose-led organization. But would, would you yourself say Intercorp is a purpose-led organization, Carlos? And if so, has that always been the case? It wasn't always the case. You know, I'm trained as a, as a banker. I, I spent a few years on, on Wall Street. So we were kind of, in, in a way, had adopted without realizing the, the Milton Friedman approach, you know, that, that our only responsibility was to increase our profits and to keep growing. And it was when we realized the environment we're working in and all the changes in, in maybe ineffective governments that we started asking ourselves, is our role just to be a bank? Are there other opportunities where we can actually push our country forward? And is perhaps the role of business also to take on the most challenging 
unsolved problems of a country. And, and that's when we started branching out to other things like healthcare and education. And now we're looking at how to develop the digital infrastructure of the country. So I think that that's been the huge success of our group. If we just would have stayed as, as a bank, we probably would still be a successful bank, but we wouldn't have the impact that, that we've had. Now, it wasn't easy getting the buy-in originally, but then when you see what an inspiring purpose that we have, then it becomes you know, a lot easier for people to start asking questions and seeing that everything we do is part of, of a building block to get to that greater goal. And Carlos, how were you able to build that purpose-led organization? Well, I mean, we have to get everybody involved. So I remember many years ago, I worked with a business school professor who wrote, a, to me, one of the best books on, on change. His name was John Cotter, and he wrote a book called Leading Change, and he describes eight steps to kind of transform an organization, which is what we had to do. And the first of those steps is creating a sense of urgency. And we started working on that. Then we had to build a guiding coalition and form a strategic vision and so on, and the eight steps. But we had to create a sense of urgency. And the way we did that is, why don't we put a goal that in our lifetime, we will, as a group, push forward dramatic change in Peru. So we got to get going. We don't have a lot of time. Let's not do it someday. Let's do it during our lifetime. It's going to be a 40 to 50 year challenge to become a developed country. That's how long it takes. That's how long it's, it took countries like Korea and Singapore. So I'm, I'm happy to say we're a little bit more than halfway there with a lot of challenges along the way because you don't always get the, the right political leaders or, or the right economic environment. But we're still at it. So you can probably talk to most of our close to 85,000 team members and they'll give you some sort of version that our real objective is to, to help Peru become the best place to raise a family in Latin America and eventually uh, become a developed country. And what role do you feel that Intercore does play in Peru today? Well, look, let's use a couple of examples. So the first ones you know is schools. So there are 8 million K-12 kids in Peru. And we barely have close to 50,000 students. So we're not going to change the whole education system because you know, it's 50,000 out of 8 million. But perhaps we can be a model and put education on the agenda because here's, here's a group that's running a school system that's affordable, that's scalable, that has academic excellence, and it's sustainable. So, you know, if others want to copy what we're doing or even the government wants to see best practices, I think it makes everybody better. We've done the same thing in institutes and universities. So our education ecosystem today is close to 200,000 kids, 200,000 students. So, so think about this. What is our country going to look like when these 200,000 kids are going into the labor market with totally different training than what they had before? These will be our future leaders. So if we look at it that way, I think we can have tremendous impact. Another project we're working on now is how to connect Peruvians who aren't connected with high-speed internet through, through satellites. Imagine the possibilities that you open up 
to that segment that's been ignored and, and you know, fiber doesn't get there and some of the cell towers aren't powerful to reach. So we think the satellite's the best option. Imagine the possibilities for financial services, fintech, for educational services, government services, you know, health tech. We open up a whole new world and that's a forgotten consumer, not just in Peru, in Latin America and in a lot of emerging economies. So um, we, we think that's a real exciting project that, that's coming our way in, in the next a couple of years. Well, and speaking of opening that new world, Sandy, what are you finding the role that businesses are playing in society today? And do you feel that that's changed over the past decade? Absolutely. It does feel like um, the kind of desire for purpose and meaningful contribution through our work is increasing in everyone, both leaders and employees. And the great thing, I think, is that leaders are really listening to that. And like Carlos, kind of wondering what it is that they can do from their role and the role of their organizations. And so, you know, leaders are asking new questions about what new solutions can be created in order to better meet the needs of people, in order to create progress in society. And like Carlos is talking about with Innova Schools, creating proof points that show that change really is possible. But there's also been a really cool shift, I think, to not just creating, but co-creating. And Carlos nodded to this before, how companies are really connecting with all of their stakeholders and the communities that are a part of their existence not just to design for them, but to design with them. And so, you know, there's a lot of design that's happening, engaging people across organizations to co-create a purpose and values for the organization that we all want to be a part of. And when Carlos mentioned that about making Peru the best place to raise a family, that there was a, a design process that people across the organization participated in to really get to that sense of purpose that everybody felt a line on creating, that they wanted their days to be spent, you know, acting in service of. And that process gets designed. You know, how do we engage people in really revealing what matters to them and what's meaningful to them? And how do we connect those dots across a huge number of people to get to something as clear and simple as making Peru the best place to raise a family in Latin America? But there's also, you know, these days, given the kind of scale of challenges that I, I think that business leaders recognize exist in the world from, you know, recognizing injustice and the need to create more inclusive systems to recognizing the effects of climate change and the need for a more balanced planet. I think there's also the awareness that not one company can solve these things alone. And so a lot of companies are now coming together using designed to help facilitate that, to say, what kind of progress would we like to make in the world? And how can we design new solutions that can meet those needs? How can we design ways of working together so that we have a shared impact? So there's a lot of ways it feels like that questions are being asked right now. But I think that the core of it that's really exciting is that all of these questions require us to design new things, new offerings, new experiences, new organizations, new agreements, new ways of measuring success. And all of that needs a deeper type of listening and a like flexible, creative way of thinking to help us get to new answers. So Sandy, it sounds like design actually had a really active role in this past decade that we've been working with Intercorp. Carlos, are there certain stages that you've 
recognized while building this purpose-led organization? I mean, it's a process that that really starts with the basics. So the first thing is that you kind of have to lead by example. And you have to really be authentic and, and believe in this. This is not a check the box or, you know, we had some incident in, in one of our companies and all of a sudden, you know, diversity is important or race is important and so on. I think you have to walk the talk. And, uh, you know, some of the things that are really important in, in our organization are, for instance, you know, values are greater than any financial result you can get. So if you have to cross that line and the, the values that you have to get your results, obviously that's that's a non-starter. And I think it, it's a team that has to really believe and do this. It's not an individual. It's it's not you know a handful, but it's it's just teams. So so another thing that's important for us is teams are much bigger. You can do bigger things with teams and with individuals. And then you have to have a a setup where there's a lot of trust, a trust to try and fail. Trust to raise your hand when you disagree. I remember in a little incident in many years ago where we were starting to share our results, our financial results, before we published in the market. So, you know, obviously there's there's a lot of confidentiality because one of our companies trades in the stock exchange, and one of the discussions we had was, does it make sense to share all this information a week before, you know, the market? What if somebody says something and leaks? And, uh, you know, the response was, well, think about it. If you're not really that um, secure about doing something like that, then, then perhaps you don't have the right people. You don't trust your people. If you're clear to them and tell them, look, we can't, you know, share this information until X date, it shouldn't be a problem if you have a team that, that's cohesive and, you know, then it's real team and everybody trusts each other. So we've been doing that ever since, and we've never had an issue. And there's some basic things you, you need to kind of have established before you can go on and, and chase your lofty goal. Sandy, how do you find design shows up as a partner through this? You know, Carlos is mentioning the importance of trust. How does design show up as a partner for that? First of all, to do anything really difficult and new, you really do have to have trust in each other, trust in who we're working with. And we have to build trust with the communities that we're working with. And so I love trust as a kind of starting point for that conversation. When I think about the decade of work that we've done together, there've been so many different stages of it. And I think because that trust continues to deepen and also our awareness of each other continues to deepen. And also I think that, you know, we keep evolving because of the work that we've done together. So both of our organizations I think have evolved as a result of knowing each other and working together. So I think about that kind of early stage, which we've talked about where, where we started working on a particular design question. In this case, it was a very large scale question around designing schools for Peru. But what that really helped us do is it helped us show that design could be valuable and that going through a human-centered process could produce new types of results that we hadn't imagined before. And I think that what that did was, and Carlos, please, you know, build or correct me if um, this isn't your experience, but I feel like what it did was it sort of made people curious. Hey, what can design do for my business? You have so many businesses as part of Intercorp's network. 
And, you know, some of the things that we did early on is we said, oh, you're curious about what design can do for you. Let's let's bring leaders together and help them understand what design thinking is, what it means to orient and act like a designer. And, you know, over time, I think more and more leaders were intrigued about that. And we we decided to kind of co-build a innovation capability within Intercorp rather than relying on IDEO as an outside organization to design for you, we decided to design together. And so we built what's called the La Victoria Lab as kind of a shared design studio. We wanted to make sure that we were with you as you were building those design capabilities. And what's been amazing at working with La Victoria Lab is like, it's really like a shared entity where we both kind of learn and push each other around what design can do and how it can keep growing. Over time through the lab, we created shared wisdom. So getting to that purpose statement of making Peru the best place to raise a family in Latin America, we together worked on what are the needs of families across Latin America and how do we help business leaders really be in tune with that? How can we create this shared wisdom across all of the different companies within Intercorp? And over time, more and more questions, more and more design questions were coming up from leaders of the different businesses kind of saying, hey, here's an area that I'd really love to innovate, or here's a need that I'd really like to meet. Um, Here's a question I have about the future. And so it's been really fun kind of to have the momentum of the scale that Intercorp's businesses work at to design across experiences for, you know, movie theaters and banks to creating schools and healthcare clinics to really looking at what it means to bring the kind of flexible creative mindset of design into the way each of these organizations are run, especially in light of the digital transformation that everybody is undergoing. And so being really in tune with the needs of the challenges of both the businesses and the needs of Latin American families has really led us to a point right now where it feels like after a decade of really working together and building these kind of shared knowledge and shared capabilities to being able to ask the questions of the future. What are we not yet working on? How are we leading into the future? And so, Carlos, I know you all are asking questions about climate and the way that you know you might consider that throughout your businesses. And these are the perfect questions of innovation of our time. And it is really through this deep and trusted partnership that we're able to then say, what does it really mean to take on those questions, not just in theory or with possibility, but what does it really mean kind of knowing each other so deeply? And for us, it's, I think, been quite inspiring to be able to say, what does it really take to make these changes happen? And how does that inform and evolve the way that we design um, at the onset? So add to, add to the design part a little bit uh, I grew up in California, so I, I saw that whole evolution of Silicon Valley, and I knew about IDEO long before I contacted them. I, I guess I always felt that I had to get to a certain size or challenge before I could actually call them and see if we could work on something together. But one of the things we did early on in, I think, 94, as soon as we purchased the state-owned bank, and you can imagine what a state-owned bank is like, and, and, and then, you know, it, it's even worse than that. And not, nothing worked. We had, we had nothing to lose. I had no idea what I was doing. So we put innovation front and center of everything. And I remember when we were putting initially the, the team together to change the bank. And we came up with like four different categories of team members. So we had the people that had worked at the bank before we bought it. So we called those like the historians. Now they were there. They knew where the bodies were buried and could tell us a little bit about the history of the bank. 
Then we hired local bankers, you know, successful bankers from other banks. So we, we poached the ones we thought were, were good and, and fit. Then we brought in some international bankers, some people from abroad that had a different perspective and, and perhaps are farther along in the evolution of banks. But really what changed everything is the fourth category, which we labeled the Martians. These are non-bankers. These are people that came out of anywhere. In fact, when we started doing our, our in-store banking, which is banks inside the supermarket, we hired housewives because we figured that they know how to shop. They know their way around the supermarket. We can teach them banking. And it was revolutionary at the time. And it's interesting because as we evolved, and again, we put innovation front and center in everything we do, when we started learning and collaborating with IDEO, one of the most valuable things that I take is the diversity of all the teams and the different backgrounds that give us insights that we never thought of. Because if you have a room full of bankers, you can get banker solutions. If you have a room that has some bankers and all sorts of other people with different experiences, you'll get totally different solutions. So I think some of our early success had to do with bringing in those Martians, and we try to make sure that in every project that we do, there's plenty of Martians to go around. I think sometimes people think, why don't you go to Mars because you got so many Martians uh, in the group. Maybe you need some industry expertise, <laughs> but it, it's worked for us because it's a lot easier to learn than to unlearn. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's, 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 it's hard if you've been in the same industry for 30 years to look at things in a different way. It's just not the way it's been done. So it, 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 that, that whole evolution of unlearning sometimes can be very challenging. Carlos, there's, there's a lot of goodness there. You have to promise us that you'll come back. We'll do a separate episode just on the importance of the Martians. I think that's our next episode. <laughs> Sandy, I want to do a double click on something you said about this notion of not designing for, but designing with, and then connect that to the importance of innovation, Carlos, that you're mentioning. You know, you've been quoted saying innovation is too important to be outsourced. Is this why you started La Victoria Lab? Yeah, we wanted to make sure that all of our companies, you know, had the skill set, no matter how big they were. And uh, some of our bigger companies already had their innovation teams, but this is a way to bring innovation across the entire, you know, business ecosystem that we have. Because, you know, maybe some companies could not afford to have their own innovation team early on. And this is a way kind of to, to give everybody that opportunity. But I also realized that we needed to work and partner with somebody that could show us the world. And, you know, we can be kind of ground zero in Lima, but you know, I'm not going to be putting offices all over the world and, and seeing what's going on with innovation. And IDEO does that brilliantly, better than anybody I, I know. And one of the best parts of starting a project is the inspiration trips, where we go and we learn and we meet. And I remember the Innova inspiration trips. We, we went all over we looking for the perfect school system and you know, we didn't find one. We found a lot of good things from here, from KIP, a lot of things from over here, from there. And we kind of said, wow, nobody's really figured this out. Maybe we can be one of the early ones to, to contribute to this cause. 
And um, that's where we met partners that we're still working with, like uh, Sal Khan and Khan Academy. I think Sandy was at that meeting. Uh, I was introduced to Sal, and this is when he was just starting out. He had a rented office, a lot of Captain Crunch all over the place. <laughs> and I was explaining to Sal that we're going to, you know, do this project. It's private sector. It's uh, it's for profit. And you know, when I say for profit, people's eyes start rolling because for profit and education sometimes don't really go go well together. And you know, Sal said to me, "Well, Carlos, we are free, but you're charging for your school, so we have to think of something. Maybe we can license it to you." And I was saying, oh boy, here we go. No, we're just doing a startup. We have nothing. And he already wants to license it. But you know, you are the first one visiting us. So I can set a precedent and say that we do license to all the private guys. And he says, well, what about if we just do something to get started? A dollar, you know, for the license. And I think I took out a $20 bill and said, why don't we do a 20-year licensing? (laughs) So, you know, I'm a big supporter of, of what Sal has been doing and and sometimes use it myself to, to pretend I'm smarter than, than I am because he, he can teach me lessons on all sorts of things. But I think IDEO opened up our eyes to lots and lots of different possibilities, not, not only in the school example, but all sorts of other things. And that's one thing that I think we realized early on, maybe the center of gravity for our country where we operate, but we need to partner with somebody who's helping us see what's going on in the world. And we've gone to China numerous times with IDEO's help and, and being inspired by all sorts of different companies and experiences we've had there. You know, I'm, I'm happy that we learned about design thinking maybe 10 years before it got to Peru. And we learned it from the guy who kind of invented it, David Kelly and, mm-hmm. and his team. So uh, it's been a privilege for us to try to keep up to all the things that they're doing. Carlos, you mentioned something in there that I don't think it's talked about enough around design because it tends to be that we focus so much on the problems to be solved or the, or the challenges that we're facing. But that point about inspiration, inspiration is so, so key to being able to open our minds to new possibilities that I think, especially as leaders, especially running businesses, you know, there, there's a kind of a worldview we tend to get caught in that where we start to define that things are the way they are. And just stepping out kind of creating the space where we can say, what else is out there that I can see that can help me imagine in a new way that really helps create the space for creative thinking to get to the kinds of innovations that you've been so focused on. And the key word in there that you shared was learning that so much, I think, of what we have to do these days <laughs> with all the, all the opportunities in the world to improve it, but really require us to be constant learners. And inspiration is so key to that. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Carlos, it would be good to hear actually what role do you feel you played in inspiring your team and in guiding them through what's been an incredible transformation this past decade? I think I'm, I'm become more of an enabler in the sense that I'm, I'm trying to always look out to see what are the, the places we can learn and be better. And my number one worry always, now just from the business standpoint, is complacency, that we feel that, you know, our results are good enough and we have to do last year plus a little more and then the next year plus a little more and so on. And we kind of get in this rut and and then we start doing financial engineering so that we can look better by buying back shares and things like that. 
I really believe that, you know, we have to continue to learn over and over and over. And that's why every year, a favorite trips is our learning trip. It's usually about a week long and every year is in a different place and we're, we're there to learn. And, and it's actually, it's, we're there to, to learn and also be humbled a little bit because sometimes you, you think that you're it and then you realize, wow, I'm not it. I'm not even close to being it. I have a lot, a lot to do, a lot to learn. And when we did our digital transformation learning trips, we, we spent a lot of time in China. And it was a fascinating trip because before going there, people would, would say, okay, I, I know digital's coming. And this, this is way pre-COVID, right? Because now, now it just seems kind of silly to talk about it. But it's going to come in over time, little by little. No, no, no need to rush. Let's, let's just be rational about this. But when you go to China and see how far ahead they were, it's kind of like seeing the end of the movie and knowing how the movie ends before everybody else does. And you come back with this confidence. I know that. I know how this is going to work out. Now we have to do it. So one thing is to, to talk about it and to mention it and, and to just, you know, over and over repeat it. The other thing is to experience it. And we experience these sort of dramatic changes in our learning trips. And uh, we've gone all over. We, we, we've gone many times to Silicon Valley, even New York City. We, we've been to see some of the things going on at MIT, at, at Harvard. We went to Argentina one year, and people were questioning, what are you doing in Argentina? Well, what are you going to learn from Argentina? Well, at the time, there were five unicorns in Latin America, and all of them were, for, were in Argentina. So they must be doing something interesting. And what we learned is that they happened to be Argentines, but they, were th they weren't thinking about just conquering Argentina. They were conquering the world. They became global companies, and you know, all of them were digital. And we have an upcoming trip to Singapore and Malaysia to see the contrast between those two countries and all the things that they're, they're doing in food tech and innovation there. So th those are the trips where uh, you, you feel a little bit bad in between the trip because you thought you were good and you, you're realizing, wow, I'm maybe average. <laughs> but then you feel really great at the end of the trip saying, I can't wait to go home and implement all these things we've learned and make us even better. I think those are the, the most exciting parts of of the year because what we thought was the plan for next year usually gets reworked after one of those trips. Sandy, so we're, we're celebrating 10 incredible years with Intercorp, IDEO and Intercorp. What do you feel is or has been the most exciting thing or part that's come out of this great partnership? There's so many things I could point to. I've got two thoughts. Can I answer? Can I, I've, I've got two things. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's cheesy to say it, but Carlos, I feel like the, the friendships that we've been able to build to really be able to say, let's, let's look at these hard questions together and imagine what we can do. Let's inspire each other. That has been really incredible. I feel really grateful for a lot of the relationships that I've been able to build with leaders across Intercorp, their lifetime relationships. And so that's really just special and quite rare, I think, in business. But I'm also thinking of, I recently saw a photograph of a newborn baby who is wearing a cap with a logo on it that said Aviva. And I also recently met a woman who's a graduate of Innova Schools, and she's here at Stanford. 
And I think about the lives that we've been able to affect from the things that we've designed. The Aviva Clinics was a concept that started from scratch to say, what would it mean to really support Peruvian families through their health and recognizing that the first time a lot of people really start to care about their health is when they're having a baby and recognizing how little support families had for that process. So designing those clinics around the needs of you know, maternity care and then just you know, seeing, seeing babies being born there and then seeing the students graduating from ANOVA and the kind of opportunities that they have that they wouldn't have had otherwise. I had an amazing conversation with that student who graduated from ANOVA and just she was talking about all the things that she could do for her country given the education she was able to have. And so I feel like a lot of this work is really just so important, not, not because of the ideas of it, not because of the business of it, but because all of those ideas and all of the business actually affects people's lives. And being part of that feedback loop for a decade is really inspiring. I would add to that that sometimes we don't work with a lot of consultants and I don't really regard IDEO as our consultant. It's our partner. And, and one of the things that Many times I hear from consultants and the frustration that you do all this great work and then I don't know what the percentage is, but a, a good percentage of that work ends up on somebody's shelf and never gets implemented. And that must be very frustrating because that's a lot of hours, a lot of thoughts, a lot of you know things that have gone into it. And I, I think and what I like about them is that you can come to them with what may seem like a totally crazy idea. And they'll listen, write it down, and they give you the sense that anything is possible. There, there are no barriers. The barriers are in our mind. And I think on our side, we are pretty good at making projects and dreams and turning projects and dreams into reality. I think Sandy just mentioned a couple of examples. From designing that clinic with just a super team to then seeing that picture of that newborn, wow, that, that feels really good. Or the young woman who is now at Stanford, who my, my wife has been actually almost adopted and helping her in, get through you know, the, the rigors of such a top university with all the things that, that go outside of the academics, that, that, that's real. And doing this while having a lot of fun along the way, uh, that's magic. Carlos and Sandy, thank you so much for being such great guests today and leaving us these really powerful messages. Carlos, we learned from you about how far a $20 bill can go and the importance of urgency. And you saying, let's not do it someday. Let's actually do it today. And the importance of having the trust to fail. Sandy, thank you for your message around the importance of growing together as business partners and the notion of not designing for, but actually designing with. And I leave you both with this last big question, which is, is there a big question that actually keeps you up at night, Carlos? I mean, there's a lot of kind of small little things that occasionally keep you up at night that, that are the, the issues of the week or the month. But I think the, the, the one that, that's, that's out there and creeps up all the time is what will the future look like? What are, what are we leaving behind for our kids? Are we getting started on the biggest challenges 
or are we just kicking the can down? And I want to make sure that I can look back as I end my days, hopefully a long time from now, and say, well, they may not be completed, but we're taking them on. You know, whether it's climate or, or you know, opportunity with education, healthcare, equality, diversity, and it's a long list. And in fact, you can probably use the the United Nations 2030 Sustainable Development Goals if you if you want to add on to that list. But are 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 we are we being good stewards of all the good things that, that we've been given? And are we making this world a better place? Or are we just leaving problems behind for others to solve? You know, it could be just a country like Peru or a region like South America or even things that are more related to the world. So I think that as you get to a certain stage of your life and you have some financial resources, you start getting involved in, in issues that are maybe much bigger than the company that you're involved in. So I think that's one of the things that I'll be working on in the coming years. And Sandy, do you have a question that keeps you up at night? I mean, it's funny. <laughs> I think that um, I have a different career stage than Carlos, but a similar underlying you know, set of bubbling thoughts, which is how do we make sure that we're harnessing what this moment is bringing us? We, we see all the questions. We know the challenges in the world. And you know, it's, it's really, it is our job to, to figure out what to do with them. So I guess my, my version of that same need is really like, how do we make sure that we're not losing what this moment offers? The consciousness is there. Now it's time to design. Carlos and Sandy, thank you so much for leaving us such big messages and and wisdom around asking the questions of the future and putting innovation in front of everything. Thank you, Carlos and Sandy. Thank you, Deidre. Thank you, Deidre. The Big Question is brought to you by IDEO. To find out more about us, and how we create positive impact through design, head to IDEO.com. And then make sure to search for The Big Question an Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at IDEO, thanks for listening.